This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. 60 is the new 50. Up next from the Center for Social Innovation, Mark Friedman, co-founder of Civic Ventures, talks about the creation of the Purpose Prize, an award that honors social innovators in their second half of life, from the Conversations Network's Social Innovation Channel. Hi, this is Elena Connor Snibby. And I'm Eric Nee. We are your hosts on Social Innovation Conversations. Today we're excited to bring you another presentation from the Center for Social Innovation in the Stanford Discussions series. The Center for Social Innovation is a growing community of leaders committed to a just, prosperous, and sustainable world. The Center offers leadership development programs and publishes our award-winning quarterly journal, the Stanford Social Innovation Review. Registered members of the Conversations Network receive a wide variety of benefits. For free membership or to help support our efforts through your donations, visit conversationsnetwork.org. Our audio content is delivered by Limelight Networks, taking the cost and complexity out of Internet distribution on the web at limelightnetworks.com. And now, here's our presentation from the Center for Social Innovation. As everybody knows, this is the year that the first baby boomers turned 60. A couple of our Purpose Prize fellows squeaked in under the wire. Um, and the media has made a huge deal out of this, uh, what the demographic shift means for society. They've focused a lot on celebrities, of, co of course. That's what sells. Um, so, you know, we hear about all of the people who have turned 60 this year, Dolly Parton, Reggie Jackson, Donald Trump, Cher. Um, so tonight we've asked uh, two other celebrities of a, a slightly different nature to, to give us their welcome. Um, before we have the first uh, video uh, welcome from one of these, I just want to tell people if you're having trouble seeing through the balloon strings, just feel free to move them down. Um, but otherwise, let's just roll that first video. As you probably know, I recently celebrated my 60th birthday. It's still hard for me to believe, but if you represent what being 60 is all about, I'm delighted to join your ranks. For all of you are role models. For me and the other 77 million baby boomers who are moving toward the stage in life that was once called retirement. Your stories are creating a new vision for life after traditional work, one characterized by energy, engagement, impact, and renewal. I congratulate Civic Ventures for creating the Purpose Prize, and special thanks to the Atlantic Philanthropies and the Templeton Foundation for supporting it. The Purpose Prize is a wonderful idea, a way to showcase the idealism, creativity, and power of people who finish their midlife careers. You're reminding people across the world that citizen service works, and civic responsibilities don't end when careers do. If anything, your responsibility to the global community becomes even greater. By embracing the core values that everyone counts, everyone deserves a chance, and everyone has a job to do, you're creating a community of shared responsibilities and shared benefits. When I was president, I devoted a great deal of time to building the concept of youth service in our country. With the help of my friend, the late Eli Siegel, we created AmeriCorps. And I'm proud to say that over 400,000 young people have served in the program to date. It's one of the accomplishments I'm most proud of. The Purpose Prize shows that there's a new source of strength and renewal in our communities and a great force for change in our country. 
When I think of you coming together at Stanford, I think of the legacy of the great John Gardner, whose success is a prime example of the significant contributions we still have to offer our communities. In fact, John helped start Civic Ventures when he was in his 80s. And his thinking and writing about service, meaning, and renewal animates the whole idea of the Purpose Prize. It is that spirit that will be with you throughout your Innovation Summit. So again, congratulations on the Purpose Prize. You're great leaders and an extraordinary force for good. I wish you all the best at the summit and beyond. And now I have another greeting from another 60-year-old, the 43rd President of the United States, George W. Bush. I send greetings to those gathered for the Purpose Prize Innovation Summit presented by Civic Ventures. Congratulations to the winners of this year's Purpose Prize as you're recognized for your commitment to making a difference in our society. Across our country, older Americans are redefining the experience of aging. They're leading active lives, serving in their communities, and reaching out to their fellow citizens. The Purpose Prize honors individuals over the age of 60 who are working to change our society for the better. By bringing together Purpose Prize winners and candidates, as well as leaders in various fields, this conference is an opportunity for older Americans to share ideas and discuss innovative solutions to issues that many of our citizens face. I appreciate the summit participants for your hard work and dedication to serving others. Your efforts strengthen our nation and inspire Americans of all ages to be responsible citizens. Laura and I send our best wishes, George W. Bush. Right now, I want to introduce our keynote speaker for the evening, Mark Friedman a person who I think needs no introduction to many of you. Mark is the founder and president of Civic Ventures. He's the author of Prime Time. The book's already been described by Sherry as her, one of her all-time favorite books that she gives to everybody, and I think all of you, uh, or many of you, have copies of that in your bag, uh, so it can become your favorite book, too, if it isn't already. Um, if Mark were 60 years old, he'd be a great candidate for the Purpose Prize himself. He's a real social innovator, and I'm not saying it just because he's my boss. Mark Friedman. Thank you, Jim and, and Sherry. Um, I think that I was uh, selected to talk this evening, um, not because of my role at Civic Ventures, but because I'm the only person they could find on the West Coast who goes to bed at 8 o'clock. And I know a bunch of you have come from the East Coast, so we're on the absolute same wavelength. I, it may be the first time you know, in the history of all this stuff where the speaker actually falls asleep before the audience, um, although that may be a contest as well. Uh, Throughout the day, I've been asked over and over again about the beginnings of the Purpose Prize. You know, what a great idea, all these phenomenal people. Um, this must have just been, um, you know, a winner from the get-go. And I'm uh, here to report that actually the Purpose Prize began with a resounding thud. I had been traveling around the country doing research for prime time, running into all kinds of individuals in their 60s, 70s, and beyond, all, all around the country who... Um, had a deep passion for social change, who were rolling up their sleeves and creating extraordinary 
opportunities, and they couldn't get any money, they couldn't get any attention, they thought they were alone, and so it dawned on me, well, why don't we do for these individuals what we've been doing with spectacular success for young innovators now for almost two decades? You're going back to the Commission on National and Community Service that preceded the Corporation for, for National Service, we were pumping tens of millions of dollars into great things like Teach for America, City Year, really putting this um, movement of young innovators on the map. And even in philanthropy, there were great fellowships like Echo and Green that had been devised to support these young people. And yet when it came to this undiscovered continent of innovation on the other edge, end of the middle years, um, people were really struggling. And uh, our friends and colleagues at Atlantic Philanthropy did research on foundations and discovered that only 2% of all foundation philanthropy was going into aging. And of that, I think 2 or 3% was going into anything around unleashing the gifts that Martha Rollins talked about, the, the enormous time, talent, experience in this population. So, but hey, let's steal an idea from, from these great folks on the younger end of the spectrum and create a prize, an investment. Um, even from the very beginning, we thought of it in the words that were in the, that New York Times ad the other day, the opposite of a lifetime achievement award, an investment in somebody who's 60 years old. And I put it together, the proposal, I thought I had just the right funder. I sent it to them, and I waited anxiously for several weeks. In fact, I headed to the East Coast. I, I was changing planes in Dulles, and I had two phone messages, and I listened to the first one, and I was hoping it was from that foundation, and I could tell from the first syllable of the first word that the answer was N-O. <laughs> and they, uh, they um, offered some uh, counsel as well. They said that uh, it was a bad idea, that people over the age of 60 were not innovators, um, and it sounded like an inside play, Civic Ventures trying to get some money to its friends, you know, organizations that we'd been touting, and um, that these people may be exceptional, but they were also exceptions. And so I, um, I collected myself and, you know, walked around de dejectedly, ordered a lot of baked goods at the airport. <laughs> Um, and then I listened to the second phone message, and it was from uh, Laura Robbins saying that she and Kimon Sargent had this idea that they had come up with about a prize for older adults who were role models for a new way to grow older, particularly people who were social innovators. Could I think of any organizations that might be interested in doing something like that? And so I, um, I thought, well, as a matter of fact, I have a proposal, um, and I'm going to learn how to use that search and replace function right away. <laughs> um, and after actually several months of enormous amount of work together, because this is very much a project that was co-developed, we came up with the Purpose Prize, and, um, and then we set out to, to put it into, into reality, and then this past fall, we, we launched the prize, and we did some marketing and we opened the doors for nominations and as soon as that happened I started getting extremely nervous because maybe those people were actually right that this was a group of people who were oddballs who were out of the norm and, and around that point I read a book by an extremely smart uh, person at the New American Foundation and in it it had a quote that I, I wrote down when I was at the hotel, it says, after the proportion of elders increases in a society beyond a certain point, the level of entrepreneurship and inventiveness declines. <laughs> 
thought, oh my God, we made a huge mistake. What's going to happen? And, um, and so, uh, you know, the nominations started trickling in, and I started sweating and, and not sleeping particularly well. And um, somebody in the office came up with the idea of a pool to figure out how many nominations we would get. And so we all came up with, with various numbers. And I, um, I'm pleased to report I came up with a number of 200. At that point, we had 185 nominations already in. I was the absolute low end of the spectrum. Jim was the high end of the spectrum, about 600. Um, and the nominations kept coming in, 400, 500, 800, 1,000, 1,200. It actually got up to 1,500. We announced publicly that there were 1,200 nominations, but there were about 300, which for one reason or another weren't eligible this year. We didn't take international applications. And by the time this was all over, the message was really clear that, yes, because the, the quality was so strong as well, it wasn't just a question of numbers, that there were a lot of people who were doing this. Even with a small amount of marketing, there was a torrent of nominations. And, and the message was really that, yes, you are exceptional, and, and many hundreds of the other nominations were as well, but you're not exceptions. Um, you may be unique, but you're not alone. And you're part of a movement that goes well beyond those 1,500 nominations. I could trickle off 100 other examples um, over the next five days. Uh, of people in this chapter in life who are using all of their know-how and creativity to, to solve significant social problems. And we're, we're seeing it, it's, in, it's very much part of the national consciousness. Two months ago, Bill Gates got up there at age 50, he said in two years, he's not gonna retire, he's gonna reorder his priorities and he's gonna throw every bit as much energy into, into world health issues as he had into building Microsoft and wins the Time Man of the Year Award along with Melinda and, and with Bono and in the article describing that, Bono says in the end, Bill Gates is gonna be remembered for what he did after Microsoft um, rather than, than becoming the richest man in the world. And, and it's, a, it's a, a ferment that is not just of the high and mighty. You know, we all know about Bill Gates and certainly Bill Clinton and, and Jimmy Carter, but even an experience core, a program that we've been um, nurturing for almost a decade now, everywhere around the country there, the experience core members, most of whom have no college education, many of whom have no high school education, get into the schools, they work with young people, they mentor them, they tutor them, but immediately they start seeing gaps and they start working to fill those gaps. I remember one of my favorite examples is in Philadelphia at the Taylor Elementary School. John Rudd, an ex-letter uh, carrier, was mentoring kids in the school for a couple of years and he realized that they weren't writing enough. So he concocted the scheme where he hauled a mailbox into the school and deputized junior letter carriers among the students and every Friday he, they would deliver, students would, would write letters, put it in the mailbox and they would deliver them. Or in, in Portland, Oregon, Cherry Hendricks, one of the members of the Experience Corps in Portland, didn't even graduate from high school. She was an avid bowler and she wanted to find a way to build relationships with kids that went outside the academic environment, so she created a bowling league, and she hand-wrote 48 permission slips for the parents of these kids. She's not gonna probably be nominated for the Purpose Prize, but she's part of a movement around innovation and creativity and entrepreneurship, some of it happening through the creation of new organizations, in other cases, through transforming existing organizations or adding new dimensions to projects like Experience Core that aren't gonna show up in, in the nomination file, but, but is much, much, much larger than even that pool of 1,500. And 
what I am here to tell you is, again, that, that you may be exceptional, but you're not exceptions. You're part of a broader push, a broader wave towards social innovation. Um, and even more than that, you're part of a, of a much bigger transformation that's happening in the society that has a potential to, to be um, the biggest legacy of, of the generation that's coming into their 60s and 70s now. And, and you know, just to sidestep for a second, we're at a point now where many are talking about retirement being reinvented. I, I'm convinced that we're not actually transforming, reinventing something that's already out there, that actually this is a historic moment where a new stage of life is being created in the period, the decades that are opening up between the end of midlife and the beginning of, of true old age. That happens about once a century in this country. We didn't have adolescence before the beginning of the last century, and then all of a sudden there was this proliferation of young people who weren't exactly children, they weren't exactly adults, so we created this stage, um, and it's lasted, uh, for better or for worse now, for over 100 years. The same thing is happening in this period between the middle years. You've got a population explosion of millions of people who are flooding into a period that's, that's really undefined. Um, they're neither young nor old. The whole idea of what success is, what you aspire to in this period is open. And it's also becoming clear that work is going to be a central component of this new phase of life. It's not just a new phase of life, it's a new phase of work. And yet the vision of work that's out there for these people is desultory and uninspiring. Um, you know, most people see phased retirement, bridge jobs, it's essentially work less of, of work. And certainly people are going to want more flexibility, but a lot of people are saying that they want more from work in this stage. Um, if the old dream was the freedom from work, that liberation from labor, the golden years characterized, what these people are saying is they want the freedom to work, um, not to fade out or phase out, but to focus in on the things that matter most to them. And for a significant portion of these people, we found this not only through anecdotal interviews all over the country and focus groups, but through the national survey we did, the new face of work last year, which showed that 50% of these people were seriously considering work in a whole set of areas that had at its heart the, the greater good. And within that group of 50%, there were 20% that were serious about it. It was their top priority. And what's more, they expressed an interest not to wait until they were 65 or 60 or the traditional retirement age to make this shift. They wanted to jump the gun and start in their 50s so they'd have enough time to do something really significant, to have essentially an encore career, a career that might not be as long as their midlife career, but that weighs as much, that's as significant. And when you listen to the Purpose Prize fellows, that phrase comes over again, it's the most important thing that I've ever done. It, I talked to one yesterday who told me it's the most significant an important professional experience that they've ever had. And so this idea that the best is yet to come, that this new phase can be a time not only of more meaning, but for doing work that means something beyond yourself, that leaves a true and lasting legacy, is something aspirational. That's something that people can get excited about. And I think it's the larger movement that you are at the vanguard of. That includes the growing movement of social innovators, but it's really a movement about inventing a new stage of work that's actually worth looking forward to and maybe even sacrificing in the middle years to, to get to earlier. Because, you know, the great thing about the 
old golden years dream is that it was so successful, so effective, um, so effectively made a virtue out of a necessity. Uh, we were going to shove people out of the labor market and convince them actually that it was something that they wanted to do. Well, could we make a true virtue out of this notion of, of longer working lives so that people actually tried to get to it as early as, as possible to launch this phase of their contributing lives? But one of the things that struck over and over and over again in the interviews we've done and the focus groups in the survey as well is that people are adrift. They don't have a set of models to look forward to. And I, I really believe that you're not only the models for all those social innovators out there, but you're the models for all these people who are searching for a calling in this, in this new stage of life. And so I think the challenge of this gathering, which we're deliberately not calling a conference, um, this is a summit maybe a little overblown, but it's really a working session to figure out, A, how you can be the best possible models, how you can be the most successful as possible, but also how you can lead how you can be, assume in a conscious and strategic way a sense of leadership that will help this movement grow and flourish and, and transform not only what it means to grow older, but to help create a society that makes more sense, that refuses to ditch the most experienced quarter of the population, that refuses to put all the responsibility on people in the middle years, um, and then ignore those once they hit their 60s or 70s, but that balances the joys and responsibilities of contribution, of innovation across the lifespan. So it's a, it's a tall order, and we certainly don't have the answers at Civic Ventures. Our goal really is to help bring you together to, to talk not only about how you can be better entrepreneurs, but how you can be leaders of this much bigger movement that's, that's emerging. Um, the, when President Hennessy talked earlier, he gave you a whole set of reasons for meeting at Stanford. Um, I want to add one to the list which has personal significance and it also relates to the message from President Clinton, which is that this is the place where uh, Civic Ventures essentially started. John Gardner was the founding board member of the organization and we had all of our early board meetings here. And I, I invoke John because he, probably more than anybody else, is an example of the life pattern that we've been talking about. Because when you think about it, he won the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1963. That's the Lifetime Achievement Award. It's what Greenspan won last year. It's, it's what you get after you've had a long and distinguished life and you're you know, exiting the, the stage. Every single thing that we remember John Four pretty much happened after his Lifetime Achievement Award. He was already in his 50s at that point. And, you know, in 1963, uh, uh, 50 was the new 70. You know, it was not a time when you embarked on, on new adventures. And when you think of all the work during HEW, Common Cause, Independent Sector, White House Fellows, most of his, his best writing all happened after he was supposed to be finished. And so it's John's spirit, really, that is animating Civic Ventures, this prize. Um, and I um, had the privilege, it was a sad one, to come to the memorial service for John at Stanford two years ago. And in the program that was given out at the memorial service were a few of John's quotes. And one came from the Medicare battles of, of the mid-1960s. And in it, he said, Society today faces breathtaking opportunities disguised as unsolvable problems. And I know that you share that same spirit. Uh, I wish he could be here today. 
Um, but in, in challenging you to take on this call, not only of entrepreneurship, but like John, the call of leadership, of leadership of a, of a growing movement. Um, I have closed with the words of John's friend who passed away last year, Peter Drucker, in his 10th decade. Uh, he, he stayed around long enough to win the McKinsey Award for the best article in the Harvard Business Review for the seventh time last year. <laughs> And in Drucker's words, the best way to predict the future is to create it. And I think that's what we're all about the next few days. And thank you very much for being here as part of that. You've been listening to a presentation from the Center for Social Innovation at Stanford. For additional practical and provocative ideas, check out the Center's award-winning publication, the Stanford Social Innovation Review, at www.ssireview.org. Registered members of the Conversations Network receive a wide variety of benefits. For free membership or to help support our efforts through your donations, visit conversationsnetwork.org. Our audio content is delivered by Limelight Networks, taking the cost and complexity out of Internet distribution on the web at limelightnetworks.com. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Stephen Eng. Our website editor was Bernadette Clavier. The series producer is Bernadette Clavier. My name is Eric Nee, and I hope you'll be joining us next time for another presentation from the Center for Social Innovation. Thanks for listening. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.